welcome back to another episode of All About Flying. And in this episode, I am going to be talking about the alternatives that you can do other than getting a private pilot's license and also what you can do after you get a private pilot's license, some of the more common routes and what I plan on doing. And then depending on how much time is left, maybe a story or two. So the first thing that I'm going to talk about are the different alternatives to getting a private pilot's license. So the first one that I really want to talk about is what I think is the second most common for that same level of certification, which is the light, which is your sport license. And the real reason people would get this license is to get your private pilot's license, you have to pass a medical exam. and it's really just uh do you have any diseases that would stop you from flying from flying or that are that would be dangerous if they happened in the air which seems like a reasonable thing and if you're if you can't pass that for some reason you can get a sport pilot's license so it's a little bit easier to get again because there's some more limitations on it than just a regular private pilot's license so the first limitation that a sport pilot's license has is that you can only fly certain types of aircraft. So these aircraft are a lot smaller than your private pilot's license. So for example, if you have your sport pilot's license, you can only have one other passenger, which if you plan on taking, say, your family or friends even, that could be a big limitation for you. It can also only go 120 knots, which seems fine, but if you're trying to go anywhere that's remotely far, that's going to be taking a while. And it also has to be a smaller aircraft, so the most common aircraft that you see, like a Cessna 172, you're not allowed to fly with your sports pilot's license. So it's it's really meant for, like, older people that really can't get it or younger people that have some issue that would stop them so the next type of license which is a lot less common and by that i mean there are probably a couple hundred pilots rather than the hundreds of thousands private pilot license so that license is your recreational pilot's license so this one is so uncommon because you you need 30 hours of training to complete this license but you're really not getting that much out of it compared to a private pilot's license so for example for a private pilot remember it's 35 or 40 depending on what type of flight school you go to so for the most part it's more worth it to spend that extra 10 hours of working and getting the license because The biggest limitation for the recreational pilot's license is that you're not allowed to fly outside of a 50 nautical mile radius of your home base unless you have additional endorsements, which is kind of very limiting. I mean, think of only being able to go in a 50 mile radius around your house. It it means that you can't really take trips, but if you're only doing it for having fun and you don't really plan to go any further 
it's really the way to go just because it is going to be cheaper because you're spending less time, but I found it more worth it to just do the extra time. So those are the two big alternatives that I know about. There probably are some others, and I mean, there's always the, you can switch to getting a glider, or you can become a balloon pilot or a helicopter pilot or something like that, but I'm just going to be focusing on the plane licenses for this. So another big advantage of your private pilot's license that you don't get with the others is that you can add on other types of licenses beside, like from your private pilot's license. So for example, if you want to get your instrument license after having a sport pilot's license, you're going to need to get a private pilot's license to, as a stepping stone. So that's another reason why it's so common to get a private pilot's license. But the most common next steps are going to be your getting your instrument license and this is something that's really recommended more so from what I've heard it's recommended for all people whether you want to go into it as a career or just for fun because no one ever plans on getting stuck in the clouds but if it happens you really should be prepared for it and if you're planning on using it for making trips even as a recreational kind of pilot so you're trying not to do it as a career it's still a very good thing to have in your tool tool bag just because it'll let you fly in a lot more days so the thing i heard about it is that if you're just a visual pilot you can fly on say five out of ten days but if you have instruments it's more like seven out of ten so while there are still those three days that you can't fly 70 percent is a lot bigger than 50 percent when you're trying not to be stuck in a town that you really don't know that well so after the instrument is usually a commercial license and this is more the people that are trying to go into it as a career because this is what lets you get paid for your time and and actually flying somewhere so anyone that flies a banner or that's working on an airline or has any of that kind of stuff has at least a commercial license and for this I am pretty sure that you don't have to have an instrument license to get your commercial license, but one, it's something that you pick up along the way because the requirements for instrument are less than your requirements for commercial. And it's something that's gonna look really good to anyone that's trying to hire you because they don't want you to be stuck on the ground either. They're paying you for it. So after your commercial, the most common is your CFI, which is your flight instructor. And some people get a CFII, which essentially means that you can teach instrument flying. So this is good for them because you can get paid a little bit more and who doesn't want that? And from what I've heard, it's just an extra written test. And if you're practicing for your instrument, you're gonna have to take it anyway. So it's not that big of a deal. But the reason people do this license is because some people wanna give back and they make a career out of being a flight instructor because that's what they really love doing. But most people do it because to get your airline license, your ATP, which is airline transport pilot, you need at least 1,500 hours if you don't go to a 
for your college for aviation or have some other requirement like specific exemptions but getting 1500 hours of flying if you're paying say a hundred dollars per hour of flying that's a lot of money too that you really don't want to be spending when you could be getting paid for that i mean even if you're working minimum wage working for minimum wage which you're not $12 an hour in New Jersey, I think it is, or 11 or something like that, is a lot better than paying $100. So after you get your CFI, most people make the jump to airline transport pilot or ATP. So these people go to the regional airlines. So all of those kind of smaller airlines that are at the airports, so they're smaller planes, they're not the big ones. I don't know specifically any of the companies off the top of my head right now, but it's more that kind of thing. And then after you quote unquote graduate from that, then you go to the big airlines. So another way of doing all this stuff is my plan is to get my instrument and just kind of go for fun. So a way, something that people do partly for fun and partly to become a better pilot is the biggest limitation for these for getting all your licenses is the amount of time that you have to fly and the experience that you have. So what some people will do is they'll just build up the time on their own. So I will, for example, spend my next five years flying or 10 years flying or whatever. And then during that time, have enough hours for my commercial license. So then I just practice all the specific maneuvers and study for the written test and then just get that and put that kind of on my resume and get the experience from that. And that's something that you really don't have to do, but a lot of people like to do or can do if they want to. So, I mean, you can hear stories of people getting their airline license when they're, say, 40 or 50, just because that's when they have the hours and they didn't plan on doing it as a career. So, lastly, I'm just going to go through a story or two that I have and... The first thing that I've heard about, which I thought was really interesting, isn't actually mine, but one of my flight instructors went to school at the University of North Dakota, which has an aviation program. So while they were there, they decided to get a job on the side, like mapping weather or something similar to that. So they would go and they'd go around thunderstorms and take pictures and like track them and all that kind of stuff. So usually you don't want to do this because you may not think about it, but there's a lot of going up and down in thunderstorms that would theoretically probably break an airplane apart. I mean, it's not something that you would really want to do. I mean, you could be going up 6,000 feet per minute or more, probably closer to 10 actually, up and down, and it's just kind of random. But he was doing that for his job, and then one of the other pilots he was with in a different plane got struck by lightning. So that's, from what I understand, one of the bigger fears that people have when they're flying. And I mean, the plane was almost completely fine. The electronics were a little bit off as expected. I mean, it's a big power surge, but what I thought was the best thing about it was that the guy that was flying the plane, everyone asked him if he was all right because he just got struck by lightning. And he his response was just, give me a second to stop seeing stars and I'll be fine. Which, that's a great way of taking that in stride and just going along with it. So, 
I don't have tons of my own stories, but I mean, there have been people that have done some weirder stuff that they probably shouldn't have had, shouldn't have done. So for example, I was at an airport in Orange County, New York. So they don't have a tower there. So what you have to do as a pilot is tell everyone where you are and kind of what you're planning on doing so that everyone can arrange themselves and make sure you don't crash. So one guy just kind of pops up out of nowhere in front of us and then doesn't announce anything. So we're just kind of like, where is he? What is he doing? What's going on? And that kind of thing because he never said anything. So then he ended up just landing in front of us, but he was so close that we just didn't even have enough time to land on our own. So we had to literally go around, which I mean, is something you practice and it's not that big of a deal to really do in these small planes at all. But it was the first time that I've actually had to do something like that in real life that wasn't completely planned. I've had, I've also had a day where the winds So the upper limit of the plane for the wind for a kind of crosswind thing is 30 knots, which I don't know, that's probably like 40 or something miles an hour. So we decided on one of the days I had a lesson that we were just gonna see what was gonna happen. And the wind ended up being about 28 or 29 knots, which is a mile or two, maybe three miles an hour under the maximum limit for the plane. So we decided, you know what, that would be a fun thing to do. And I decided that I should really have the experience because if I become not confident, but reasonably sure that I can get the plane on the ground in that situation where it's as bad as it can get, then in any other situation, if something pops up unexpected, then while I may not be completely fine, I know I'm gonna be able to land safely and not hurt anyone so we decided to go up and we were getting completely tossed around and that was some of the worst turbulence that i've experienced especially because when you're close to the ground you get a lot more turbulence just because the wind is bouncing up off the runway too it's called mechanical turbulence but that's not really that important and we were getting tossed around so like there was at one point where we were like the wings were just unlevel so we were going straight and then the next second we were at we're in like a 30 degree turn which is pretty significant and especially when you're going so that's how you can get into a lot of trouble if you're not completely sure of what you're doing and I mean we ended up fine but that was one of the times where I really realized how crazy that it can be being in such a small airplane on windier days and how in a way some people very much overreact when they're on a big airline just because it can be so much worse and they don't even know it. Thanks for listening to this episode of All About Flying and before we go, just a quick word from a sponsor. Again, thanks so much for listening to All About Flying. Remember to follow, leave a like, rate five stars, or whatever that kind of thing is on the platform you're doing. And 
hope you have a great day after this and depending on when you are stuck in quarantine or not get outside it can be nice out we're starting to get into summer